My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 43 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. In this week's show, we've head coach at Running Coach Ireland, Rene Boer, talking about different ways to review your race performance that doesn't involve looking at the watch. And we have a very special guest, Kevin Leahy, the winner of the recent 300km Yukon Arctic Ultra. And he's about to try and go for the double in the 500k Lapland Ultra. And I tried to find out where does he get the strength, mental and physical to do it all. Everybody, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. everybody welcome to the show this week and before we kick off i just wanted to pass on my support my solidarity even though that's worth so little really in the grand scheme of things to to any of our ukraine friends in the running world and their own friends and family i'm conscious that this is simply just a trail running podcast and you normally tune in every week for Rene's great tips and then our feature interviews as well but i suppose it's the it's the very least that i can do is just to express like so many have over the last week or so our utter disdain to, to what's going on and um, i do feel a bit useless looking on and not really being able to do anything um, and i suppose the events in the ukraine have made a, a real impact on me because i found a ukraine tracksuit top and a ukraine nike t-shirt during the week that i had swapped with ukrainian mountain running athletes and um, while away with ireland in the european and mountain running championships um, so to think that those guys might now be on the front line somewhere is really really sad so hopefully they'll all be okay some race news to catch up on and lots of Imrock action over the last few weeks and Enda Cloak took the win in the Imrock Ticknock Winter Series Sophie Daly in the ladies race and in the Trooperstown race Enda did the double with another win and Deirdre Nick Cannon took the win in the ladies in the Mallow AC trail race good to see John Kinsella back on the mountains again, last time I saw John was in the 2017 World Masters Mountain Running Championships where Ireland took the gold medal and so good to see John back the winning ways there and Roisin Howley took the win in the ladies race and finally in Imra race news in Mullameen Russ Riley and Jennifer Elvin were the first runners home before we call in Rennie as we always do guys every two weeks a big thank you to our patrons who are supporting the show every episode, every month, and since our last show, thank you to C. Cannonan, who became um, a part of the team here with his support. And again, it's just the equivalent of the price of a gel a month. Thanks a mil, guys, for your continued support. And if anybody else would like to help out the show, it's all about just supporting the, the trail and mountain running sport in Ireland, helping it to grow and having a good time along the way, of course, as well. We do our best to get two shows out every month, and then our two highlights shows as well. And you can get more details on how you can support the show over on patreon.com right so time to call in our resident coaching guru and talk about what are the takeaways from race day that we can look at without having to look at our watch
Rennie Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rennie, how's it going? And Rennie, I'm dying to hear how you get on with your own super shoes there in the last race that you did, just as we just before we recorded our last episode. And I think you had the um, the North Face Vectives on. Did you power up and down that mountain, Rennie? Yeah, well, I, I certainly have some opinions to share already. You know, normally you don't do shoe reviews so so quickly, you know, because it's not kind of, it's fa- not always fair on the manufacturer until you've spent a good, you know, two, three hundred kilometers in a shoe uh, and on various different terrains to, to, to give it a review. But I, I can definitely say some things about them now that people should keep in mind when they make the purchase decision. Um, I do think just from two races, right, so for people to just keep in mind, it's just an observation from two races. I do think they give you more power output um, is on good fire road climbs, which is like most of the Imra races and the two that I went to, they start like that, right? So you start on a few kilometers of very good fire road where the surface is quite even um, yeah. and the effort is quite steady. Yeah. So, and it's obviously all uphill, which means there's no technical requirement. You're not just focused, you're just focusing on outputting energy. I can't say for sure, Owen, because obviously I haven't measured, right? So I didn't have a control experiment, but it, it did feel like they, they gave you a bit of bounce. Um, they were surprisingly good, I thought, on the descent in the first race. I did have one slip, but I didn't blame the shoes so much from that. I just I didn't concentrate well enough on a small mm-hmm. section. But um, they are not safe on very uneven and technical terrain. That's my conclusion after the second race. Yeah. The, the, the reason is like most of these carbon shoes, they have quite a high heel to allow for the technology. And um, as probably the regular mountain runners here know, the higher the heel of your shoe is, the more likely you are to sprain your ankle on the descent. Mm. Because when the shoe turns, it turns your ankle more. Um, and and Trooperstown Hill, which was the race I attended this weekend, it has one of the most technical descents in, in these types of races in Leinster. Uh, it's a very brief section. It's only about a kilometer. But you come down through kind of very loose rocks, very, very broken up terrain. Uh, and quite, a, a, I think the gradient is minus 17% at, uh, in, on average. And there's bits yeah. that are more. So it's quite a severe... Uh, descent you know and I, I remember it was responsible many years ago for breaking the shoulder of an Irish aspiring international because they had a trial on it I think it was back in 2010 uh, and he fell on that you know and uh, he was a big strong chap and it's, it's still you know it's, it's it's a fairly uncomfortable place to land so I wasn't sure would a shoe like that be safe in that terrain but I took two uh, test runs over the course i did one in the shoes i normally run in um, and i did one in these and i thought they were okay Mm -hmm. Uh, i thought they offered good protection from the rocks um, and i did i felt i could get my feet off quickly enough but you know it's hard to simulate race conditions in training especially on the descent because you know you don't have the adrenaline and we also had extreme wind in the race, um, and it was this, it was a crosswind on those sections. So it meant you you were kind of running downhill trying to concentrate, and you had and obviously in the race you have other people around you as well, which means you don't always get to pick the uh, the line you want to pick. You know, so often you the wind and the other competitors they force you into areas where you don't want to be. Uh, so with us, for some reason, for me it ended up actually that I got an awful um, turn off the foot 
um, and it was very painful. And I thought for a moment there that I actually done some some real damage. Um, but it showed that it was just um, it, it seems to have been just a very regular sprain, you know, of the mildest kind. You know, people will know it. You know, so it's a little bit sore on the outside. It got blue afterwards. It was swollen for about two or three days. Sure. Well, I think in summary, Renny, what you're saying is that the the those particular shoes, and from what I read as well in an article there during the week from one of the big international trail running magazines, where they actually studied a number of the road running carbon plated shoes on the trails, not the particular vector ones which are designed for the mountains, but they brought in the vapor flies, the Adidas versions as well, and what they found was the conclusion was that. They did actually give an, a, an improvement in performance, um, but just not as high as on the road naturally. Where, say, on the road, you could go from anything from a 3% improvement up to a 6 or 7% improvement in time with the vapor flyers, say, for example. But what they found was that the improvement in time is roughly about 2 to 3%. Now, Renny, I'll still take 2 to, two to 3% improvement in performance if I have to wear a pair, a pair of uh, carbon plated shoes. On the mountains but i think what you said there about just descending with that big hill and that big energy return could be very very tricky so th- there might be a while to go yet a few more variations of these shoes before they're actually primed and and perfect for really tricky mountain running up and downhill you might get away with it as you said on a bit of fire road and even powering upwards on a fairly smooth track but I think coming down, they're just still a little bit too risky, aren't they? Yeah, well, let's say we could maybe end this mini review on a positive note, because they they are, it's otherwise, it's quite a nice shoe. You know, it's, um, yeah. I felt, especially after the first race, um, and certainly noticed it in my muscles after the second, there was a lot less uh, muscle soreness than I would have expected on the low mileage that I brought into these two events. Mm. Um, and that suggests to me, I know you have had this observation, Owen, that some most people who use them seem to report less muscle soreness. Uh, I did notice though, that after one of the runs, my feet muscles felt like they'd worked harder. And that was of course to be expected because your foot is compressing that carbon. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously something to watch. You know, if you like any change you make, you know, if you went out and decided to go for seven days a week training in a carbon shoe and you suddenly end up with soft foot, you, you wouldn't have to, you know, go to a specialist to figure out why. Uh, but they do seem to have potential on. And I think for the technical trail running, that's probably, you probably just need to make a call and say, look, I might be faster on the uphill with these, but it's too risky on the downhill. Yeah. But for, but for a lot of the trail runs, you'll probably be fine. And as you say, they'll probably be able to develop them in a similar direction to the, the spikes on the track. Um, because the tra- obviously the spikes are very minimalist, but they still have a carbon uh, fiber. So maybe they'll be able to do a shoe that is actually quite low profile and technical with good grip. But there is some kind of dynamic carbons. Um, there's, there's probably going to be multiple, I would imagine, multiple little carbon plates in it. Because I think the challenge with track on is that the, the carbon plate is designed to deflect a very even force pulse. And on the road, that works. But on the trail, the, the direction of force is always changing. So I think what Vective did, I think the plate that's in it's it's um I think it comes in three pieces or something like that. I need to go back and reread the technical specs. But they've done something like that to try and overcome this 
problem that you will get the the force from the trail coming from slightly different directions every single foot strike yeah well even um just as we're just reviewing um shoes Renny, in the national masters cross country there last weekend or two weekends ago now um i actually wore would you believe the nike um vaporfly not vaporfly what are they called um victories the nike zoom victories and which have that big carbon plate on the front part of the shoe in the cross country now naturally you know as you're going through the muck down there in cork i didn't feel any energy return on it just like a normal spike but in any little bit of firmness or any little bit of flat grass that we were running on, and especially I found over the last 200 meters, which was nice, nice and flat going into the finish line. And when I began to sprint in, I could feel the energy return. And it was like wearing a pair of carbon plates on the spikes after on the track rather. Uh, and they were brilliant and they're absolutely super. There was no ill effects in the calf muscles or anything after that. And that was a tough old mucky cross country race down in Cork as well. So if anybody is listening in and still has a cross country um, race left to go before the springtime comes in, uh, yeah, the carbon plated track spikes, they, they might just work. <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly it's a topic to follow anyway, and uh, we can report back in maybe two or three months. We can I can give you a, kind of a final review if if people are interested. Um, for now, I was a hello from you know Rory Long, our old contributor to the podcast. You know, he came over to me at the start line on and said, oh, "Do you have the cheat shoes?" <laughs> Oh, did he very good? He was listening in so uh, but ready. Our, our second part of today's conversation, and you know, we're at episode 43 now, and we do try our best to have something new and something original to talk about in all of our training and coaching segments that we do at the start of each podcast. And today's one is an interesting one as well. I think what we were going to talk about today was just how to evaluate your your race and not just by using the typical metrics of the time on your watch or the position that you came in the race, but, you know, other things as well to see, well, did I run well today? What can I learn from today? And I know you have a couple of things that you wanted to go through. Yeah, I think hopefully we can cover the full gamut. Um it just dawned on me as a good topic because I had been away from racing, these races anyway, myself for quite a lot a few years and um, I just noticed that in many ways coming to the finish line I was evaluating the race very differently to how I would have used to do it Um, and I also then remembered further back to when I first started where again it was a totally different more experiential thing you know because in the beginning I had no expectations and the only thing I knew was that this was exciting um, and I just wanted to experience the course and I had no markers of any kind, you know, in terms of time or position that I could judge as this is good, this is bad, this will make me happy, this will make me unhappy. So I think that there's at least three ways you can look at it. Um, but if we start with the, the, more, the kind of the competitive in the middle, uh, you know, that that's, I think is the middle phase of a runner's development as well. You know, you go from the from running for the pure experience and love of it to saying, well, actually, I have some specific goals now as well because, you know, I found maybe that I'm reasonably competent at this and I want to see, am I improving? Or you might have built up, this is very common in trail running, you might have built up some rivalries, you know, usually very friendly, um, but you have some people that you see regularly at races and the way you kind of gear yourself up and maybe even measure yourself is where do you finish in relation to these people? You know, that's that's one of the first things and and when you 
have been away, that's an advantage. If you've been away for a long time and you come back, uh, you can't do that because you might know the people that are there anymore. Or a lot of your old rivals might have moved on to something else, or you don't really know maybe their circumstances has moved on. They're much fitter than they used to be, or they're much less fit than they used to be because maybe now they're busy with family, you know. And when you raced them 10 years ago, uh, they were they had all the time in the world uh, to train and do everything else. So and that can be so hard, Benny, as well, can't it? When maybe you're used to coming ahead of somebody in the pack, and then for whatever circumstances you said, you know, you're just not there anymore. And it can require an awful lot of patience, self patience, self discipline, self soul searching to be at peace with that as well, you know. And hopefully, you know, people that are listening can find that, even especially over the last two years, which have been so up and down for various different reasons, that if anybody isn't where they want to be maybe just yet, to have a little bit of patience, that that good form maybe that was there in the past, it will hopefully come back. Yes, I think that's the maturity you need, because I remember that was one of the first things that occurred to me when I came over the finish line. I, I, I looked at the time. I, obviously, I had some process goals on and I achieved them, which was fine. But I looked at the finish time and I thought, oh, wow, that's actually, you know, it's I wouldn't have been happy with it a few years ago was kind of a thought that came into my mind. But then I thought, well, look, um, look at the training you've done for the last year. And I thought this is actually very reasonable you know, for that amount of, of, of work that you've done. So there's no reason to be in a hissy fit or be negative uh, about the performance when it's very, you know, when in a way it's a truthful resemblance of the work that had gone into it. Uh, so, I th- so that's maybe the first piece of advice, like be honest and say, you know, if, you, if you're not training as much as you used to, uh, don't beat yourself up expecting the same. You know, you can't, you might be lucky that you jumped in at the same level, but it's highly unlikely. Um, so what does that leave us with? You know, it leaves it, in, in, in road runs, it's very easy to look at numbers because you can obviously look at um, your previous PBs or you might even look at your age category PBs if, you, you know, if, you, if you're no longer able on the roads to beat your historical best because maybe you've reached an age where that's just not realistic. Um, you could still say, well, this was a great time. It's the best time I ran over the age of 45 or whatever it is. But in hill runs, it's not so easy because the courses change all the time, the weather conditions change, uh, and we don't have as clear markers. So Imra tried to solve this problem uh, many, many years ago. I think it was um, Justin, he was called Justin Keating from a company called Version 1. When they built the Imra website, they kind of invented this metric, uh, which was called percentage of winner's time. And it's because he was trying to find some kind of metric that people could use to see their improvement from year to year. Um, now, it's not a perfect metric, but it's better than looking at, you know, just at times in isolation. So, for instance, the way that Imra metric works is that if you finish 20% um, behind the winner, it shows up on your results as 120%. And that can be quite useful if you look because they have a, they, they have a very nice profile, you know, of, of you on the website. So you can see, well... In year 2012, I was generally within 115% of the winner. I can see now five years on, I'm about 122%. So I've fallen off a little bit in relation to the people who are winning the races. Um, And then you can look at your training and say, well, is that because actually, yeah, my training circumstances are not as good anymore. So it's to be expected. Or am I training as hard as ever, but I'm getting further from the winners because then I need to do something. 
Yeah. You know, so there's that, that, but it's of course not totally perfect because it could depend on the races you do. You know, you might mainly do races where the winners aren't as fast. Um, or you might mainly do races where um, it could just be random, right? You know, that you're very unlucky. Like at Broca Burst, when we went out, the guy set a course record. So, of course, if you have a guy setting a course record, in general, your percentage of winner's time will be poorer. Yeah, sure. So, so, yeah. so it's, and it's the same with position. You know, you and many people that I speak to in the club and that are newer to hill running, they feel like I remember feeling over a decade ago, they were, they're obsessed with getting into the top 20, getting into the top 10, getting into the top three. You know, and yeah. it's, I think it's a human instinct once you get a little bit competitive. You want to, it looks nice. There's something about, say, you know, if you've never finished in the top 10 in a race, there's something about that. You know, it's hard to explain. Um, it's just nice to see that single digit. Yeah. And of course, I mean, there's other things that we can look at, look at as well, apart from the metrics on the watches, apart from the results sheet as well. I mean, I think things like how did you feel during the race are so important. Little things like did you, did you push on hard when you needed it? Did you have some reserve there left for the last 10 minutes where the people around you in your group, when they were pushing on, were you able to respond or did you just raise the white flag and you just had nothing left to give? Or maybe you did have something left to give, but you just didn't go there today. And, and there's lots of these other little questions that we can ask ourselves. Um, did we get the pacing right over the first 20 minutes or did we just get the tactics all wrong? And, you know, hopefully the, your perfect race will be a good time on the watch a good result on the results sheet, but also a real sense of, of good tactics and good strategy and pushing hard when you needed to push hard during the race itself. And that in all moments, you never gave in. And that, you know, when you really had to go with a sprint or go when somebody made a move, yet yeah, mentally you were tuned in and you went for it. Yeah, and in many ways, that's probably a better way to assess because it's it's more real it's not just a number you know a number is it's obviously something that has a part in sport but it's um like when i looked around the finish line we had some newer club members on and uh, for them everything is still much more of an adventure you know they have none of the cynicism that sometimes comes in a little bit when you've been competing for a decade or two um, and it was just great to see the pure excitement, you know, as I said to you before the call, they didn't care at all about their position. They were just really excited. About it. They, they liked the course. They liked the muck and the wind and they loved the descent, you know, how interesting it was, you know, the sense of danger. And clearly they were satisfied with how they dealt with it. You know, as you said, yeah. um, and that's why I was out obsessively checking the descent because when I was younger, I, I remember coming down pretty fast and I have done it in training quite a lot and I just can't get this old body to come down it <laughs> At anywhere near that speed anymore so i was very i was thinking one of my process goals is I, I want to not come down it like bambi you know it's i would like to feel that i'm actually giving this uh, that i'm fairly fearless you know so that's more what you explained this was purely something for myself right i, I wanted the feeling that you know the old man can still get down this thing and yeah, um, yeah. you know and it's a strange thing and, and apart from the ankle sprain it was actually okay um so i was happy with that um, and as you say as well do you feel like you gave it your best? I think that depends a lot what you want out of the race as well. You know, I think for most races, if it's important to you, that's obviously what the question you want to answer is that when things got tough, 
did you step up uh, or did you just pack it in and become very defeatist? You know, maybe a lot of negative self-talk in your head. Um, that would be something you probably then should 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 work at. But for an early season race like this, you can also experiment, you know, and and make sure you just be clear before the race what you want out of it. And if you get those things out of it, then forget about um, the results. You know, I, I think I mentioned to you, and I was looking at some different nutritional strategies before and not all of that went so well, but I was also looking to test um, how to run to a power target on the uphill. Mm. You know, and it's just because it was something I wanted to see, you know, power meters are a new kind of tool. It's done a lot for cycling. And I was just genuinely curious, would, would, it, would I learn something about my own instincts for how to pace an ascent by letting the watch take over and do something that is a little bit different to what I would be doing naturally? Because, mm. you know, we, we all have our instincts as we go into races, but it doesn't mean that they are correct. So I wanted to learn something. So the watch calculated, you know, based on the specific um, course, it calculated a watt number. And I basically just had that on the watch. And for the whole climb, I was, I looked down at it occasionally. I'd put a warning beep on it so I wouldn't have to look mm. at it all the time. Yeah. And I followed the watch reading that it had predicted for me. And what I found was it was a little bit uh, kind of nearly unnerving in the beginning because I had to let a good part of the field go off a bit further than I would have preferred. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I said, look, you've committed to this experiment. Uh, you want to see, will it make you stronger in the second half? It, that's what I wanted to see. Um, and in, in retrospect, once you could analyze it, I came to the finish line too fresh. Wow. Yeah. And, okay. uh, yeah. And then the watch, the watch actually looked at the data from that race and it calculated a higher target when I put it in again. So for some reason, the data was underestimating what I should have been able to put out. So my training wasn't clearly quite reflecting the fitness that was there. Yeah. But it, but it was still interesting, Owen, you know, to see. It, it, it was, and maybe it doesn't say, but as well, that now you were doing that deliberately, but it does say as well that listen to yourself as well, doesn't it? There's no better um, measuring device then you, then, you know, listening to your body, you know, your mind, just reading the energy levels that are there, the effort level that you're doing. And while our technology is fantastic with our heart rate straps, with our parametrics there and so on, there's nothing better than being able to read your own feelings on the day. And then just one other thing, Renny, that I wanted to share as well with the listeners before we finish up today was not to settle. Randy, because it's happened to me a couple of times in races and I've been furious with myself for doing it, that as we were talking about at the start of the conversation, we're used to running with certain people and maybe we've been out for a while, whether it's injuries or whatever, just not racing. Then we come back in and training has gone well and we find ourselves where we want to be in the race. And we say to ourselves, oh, well, listen, great. The race has gone well. I'm beside Jim. I'm beside Jack. That's where I should be. I'm happy with that. And I'll just glide into the coast, into the finish now over the last K or two, where in reality, 
never settle because you always have a little bit more and maybe if you just keep on pushing harder over that last kilometer you might actually come in ahead of jimmy and jack or whoever they might be on the day and i'll give you one quick perfect example Renny. i remember i was out for a couple of seasons injured between 2015 and 17 but i got back into the irish team in 2018 for the for the european mountain running championships and um, in zermatt beautiful location and zach hannah and mark ryan were on the team very strong mountain runners and over the course the two lads had got away from me and were pushed they were pushing on but I got them back on the last climb and just with about 800 meters to go before we went over the final ridge into the finish line and oh, just beautiful the beautiful surroundings of Zermatt I got onto the back of them got up beside Mark and Zach was just literally one step ahead of us and I thought to myself, oh, well, this is that's my race. Fantastic. I'm back beside Mark. I'm back beside Zach. You know, that's my race done now. Made it. And of course, over the last 800 metres, the lads just pushed on. They, they were fully still in tune in the race. My concentration had gone because I was happy out that I was back beside the two guys. And of course, they got about a hundred meter jump on me over the sprint finish and they finished a couple of places ahead. And I remember coming across the finish line. Oh, crap. I actually had a little bit more energy there and I should have been coming home with Mark and Zach instead of just being happy out 800 meters back that I was beside them. So a good little tip, Rene, never settle. Yeah, no, totally agree, Owen. And I've heard that story so many times, you know, when people come up next to someone and they're actually surprised that they're there they, because they thought that person nearly is beyond them. Um, and they, some, I've heard people describe that they nearly don't know what to do in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of really afraid to pass them because it, they feel like it, it must mean that they've overdone it and overcooked it. Yeah. Uh, but, and that's probably where, you know, a, a bit of a natural greed uh, and maybe also a bit of natural wildness that, um, as you say, you don't settle and you have maybe you, you might need a little bit of what was the excessive self-confidence, you know, mm. and, and, but nothing brings that about more than training. And, mm. and I think if you, if you've really impressed yourself in training, it's a little bit easier than when you are in a race and suddenly you're there next to someone you might have idolized and, and you think, should I be passing them? And I think if your training has been fantastic, you're more likely to make that move. Yeah, and also mentally prepare for it, Renny, as well. I mean, I think we spoke about it before in one episode where we often prepare for the worst case scenario, but we never actually prepare for, well, what happens actually if I'm, you know, feeling great and I'm, you know, ahead of where I want to be or, or, or I'm up in the lead group? What do I do then? And just like you prepare for recovering from a setback in a race, you also need to mentally prepare for everything going well as well. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked so much about visualization, but you've had a few guests who've done it, you know, so maybe that, you know, that, that could be a good place to start, you know, visualize how you will be when you're right up there with the people you want to catch and you're comfortable and you belong there. You know, that, that wouldn't be a bad story to tell yourself. Yeah. Well, listen, Randy, we'll leave it there for today. Let's um, get those carbon-plated mountain running shoes on and let's hit the trails. Randy, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks a million. And if anybody oh, wants to get Renee, he's very helpful. He, he's great with his advice and his coaching. And you can get him on runningcoach.ie and on his Facebook and Instagram page, Running Coach Ireland. Renee, thanks a million. Thank you all.
for our feature interview this week. It is a real pleasure to welcome back for a second time to the Trail Running Ireland podcast after his Ivra Traverse record run a couple of months back, Killarney man Kevin Leahy, who reached the finish line of the world's coldest and some say toughest race in first place, the Yukon Arctic 300 mile race, um, a couple of weeks ago. He had to drag a sled weighing between 25 kg and 30 kg with all his cooking, tent and clothing equipment through the course. And all I can say is, wow, unbelievable mental and physical strength. And to find out more, let's dial in the man himself. Kevin, on February 9th, just less than a month ago now, you completed and won the 300-mile Yukon Arctic Ultra in five days, 20 hours, and amazingly on only 10 hours of sleep in sub-zero conditions, along with a host of other challenges and obstacles that you had to overcome during that race itself, never mind the, the, the lack of sleep, lack of sleep. But just the first question, Kevin, that I have is, where does the drive come from? to take on that level of challenge and then to tough it out when you're there to complete it and to win it where where does it come from kevin <laughs> uh that's a good question um look i suppose i suppose i like uh, I, I like challenging myself uh, i like pushing myself i'm 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 constantly i suppose looking for looking for the limits physically and mentally kind of thing so i knew that i knew that was going to be a massive challenge um I suppose a massive fear. I suppose a massive fear of failure as well as uh, would be one of the things that keeps me going. I I I, I know I I know I wouldn't wouldn't like to live with myself if I pulled out because it, because it was a bit sore or a bit cold or something like that. So so there's a good few a good few contributing factors to the drive. Yeah, um, and as you were growing up, I mean, were you inspired by I don't know local role models, local the sporting greats all down in Kerry as well, or even on a at a national level, Irish athletes at all? Like, were you a big sports kid growing up, and 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 uh, is that you stayed there now? And um, you know, you still feel like you're you're going out to run around the field, even though you might be in your thirties or forties now. <laughs> you still have that. Uh, child joy of sport and running and adventure still there maybe uh it's, it's interestingly i was i was a sport i was into soccer and football uh, i wasn't diehard when i when i was younger so I, I wouldn't say i came from my youth i i think it's a i think it's it's a massive sense of adventure that seems to be kind of constantly growing kind of thing uh, i'd always i always liked adventures but uh you know maybe a bit of a misspent use and 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 in and in work too hard in australia i was i always had an appetite for it but i wasn't feeding the appetite and then in my like early 30s i finished up working engineering in australia and headed for south america and you know i really got into like the the adventure and kind of started figuring out the gear and the mountains and and how to do things and how to feed myself in the mountains and and you know the picking good good big adventures that tested myself you know i was in a i was in a mountain called pick a boulevard in venezuela i pushed myself very hard there and another one chimborazo was in ecuador um so i think it's just a massive sense of adventure that's kind of keeping me going on these things and um and just and again the, the, the bigger the challenge the, the more the more prep you have to do the more you have to think about it the more like i i know the better the, the better condition my body is in the more i enjoy the event kind of thing you know so if you don't train hard enough then you're giving yourself excuses during an event to, to pull out or slow down or you know get, get negative and, and and stop anything so it's just an overall kind of 
pushing of myself uh, and kind of, I suppose, knowing that I'll have to push myself, yourself improving, you're learning, you're learning about how to deal with the cold, you're learning about a stove, you're learning about dehydrated foods, you're learning about like your diet, and your, 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 your fats and your carbohydrates, your protein intakes and stuff like that. So it's always, it's always pushing me to learn and improve myself. And from what I'm hearing there, Kevin, is that you're saying that it's all about improving yourself and learning about your own limits. Um, And I'm just wondering then, at the start of that race, I read in one of the race reports that you laid down the gauntlet from the very, very start. So where are you thinking in that race and and are you thinking in your, your, your adventure mindset now? Are you beginning now to look to compete and try and win these adventure races like you did? like you did in in the Yukon or is it still very much about seeing how far you can push your push yourself I suppose yeah I, I suppose the way it's working out I'm pushing myself and 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 I am being competitive you know um so I just like to push myself and it and it just so happens in some of these races that I'm coming across the line first you know I'm just pushing myself as far as as far as I'm com- comfortable with kind of thing maybe maybe too far at times or maybe not but um I just push myself and I, and I come where I come. So, you know, if someone, like I said, it in the Kerry way this year, um, I was going to push myself. And if someone came ahead of me, then good on them. And, you know, three other, two or three other guys came, also came sub 24. So, but I was, I was fourth and I was still happy with the result knowing that I, I'd done the best that I could do in that race. So yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the philosophy, you know, it's like not to be disappointed because another guy had a better day or another guy just simply lives in the Arctic and is able to handle those conditions better than I can, or, or, you know, look was on his side or look was on my side. It's go out and know you've tried your hardest and pushed yourself and, and, and you come where you come. And it's just so happens in, in these Arctic races, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm pretty competitive with them. Yeah. And I mean, when you were in that race and you were winning, you were leading the race from the go, did that change your approach to the actual race itself? I mean, did you find yourself getting maybe more excited and, you know, the heart rate just that little bit higher, the adrenaline rush from being in the lead, or were you quite good at remaining calm and staying on point? I was quite, I was quite good. I had a, um, I was, I was quite good. Most of it. I, I, I did go out a bit too hard. Um, uh, to give you the backstory, I suppose that two years previous, I'd done the hundred mile race and I, I completed the hundred miles in 31 hours. So I, I kind of, my mindset was, ah, sure, I'll go out and do that again and have a snooze den kind of thing. But the, the conditions were much harder this year. There was a lot of heavy snow, a foot and a half of heavy snow on the first night. So I kind of had gone out fairly hard, but hadn't reached what, what I had said as my goal. And I got, got a little bit negative for a while. Um, with that, I was, I was having issues with my stove and I, I lost my spoon and stuff like that, which is pretty important for the dehydrated food. So a couple of those things kind of kind of got on top of me a bit. I got a little bit negative, um, although I was still winning the race, but you know that, that shouldn't have been happening. But it but it did happen due to sleep deprivation. But then I, I kind of pulled it together. I had a I, I set up tent, I set up camp, and I, I camped and slept for like three four hours, and I woke up again. And then I kind of woke up and I was trekking in the dark for a few hours and then the sun came up. It was always like a really long sunrise over there. And through that, I kind of I was able to sort out my head a little bit and focus on the positives and and kind of get my head around uh, the challenge that I still had 350 miles to go or 350 kilometers to go. And then another 500 kilometers to go after like three weeks after that. Uh, So once I kind of got through that period, the head was pretty good. And I was six, seven hours ahead at that stage. 
and uh, I, I, I had a, I, I kind of kept that, kept that going for a while. And I suppose for a while I was looking at the clocks, like, and when I'd be in the stations and asking the crew, you know, how far ahead am I? And it'd be like six hours, six hours. And I knew I was, I was going pretty consistently then. And then it, it, six hours turned into nine hours, turned into 12 hours. And eventually I was, I was 18 hours ahead of second, uh, second foot racer. Yeah, um, you mentioned in one of the uh, interviews after the race, Kevin, um, about those some of those tough points that you've described there that you said you either crumble and drop out of the race or you flip it around and keep going. And you've been talking there a lot about just you know talking to yourself and being able to push on. Is that a skill, Kevin, that you've worked on over the last couple of years? And is it something that, you know, we, we can practice? And for listeners that are listening in that might have their own adventures, their own obstacles to overcome. I mean, you make it sound so simple there. Yeah, I just focused on the next 100 kilometers, next 200 kilometers. And I just kept on going through <laughs> the, the, the minus 20 degrees and, and temperatures and, and lack of sleep. But is it something that you work on? Is it something that you train? Um, I suppose you, you train through experience. I, I suppose a lot of it's just through experience. And look, I, I do read I do read quite a lot uh, of psychology, uh, that side of things, and, and books about mindset. Not, a, not an awful lot. I suppose um, the, the Tim Paradox was actually a book I read just before just before the race. I found that one pretty good. And I suppose just being being aware of of, of your mind and, and the, 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 the kind of the voices, the other voices, the ones that want to stop and quit and know that, that that's not really who, who you are or why you signed up. You know, you signed up to, to, to enjoy these things and do a full race, not just to not just to drop out after 30 hours because you're because you're tired kind of thing. So. I suppose it's uh, like you're having a battle with yourself, really, and 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 knowing that 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 uh, the right person wins, and and the the one you're you're better off to keep going. You'll, you'll regret it if you if you let the negatives compound. Like so, it's just not letting, I don't know, flexing the muscle and not letting that negative voice kind of kind of take over because we've all had it in races where the negative voice takes over. It's like oh, I didn't train hard enough, and that guy that just passed me out way better than me, and he's got nicer shorts than me, and this and that and the other. I fell back there and I, I can't find my Snickers bar and you yeah. can kind of let all those negatives kind of get on top of you and you, you all of a sudden not enjoying the race. I suppose, so I suppose it's like being aware, right, this is happening. This isn't good for me. And then finding the positives. No, you'll find another Snickers bar and that guy's shorts aren't cooler than yours or it doesn't matter anyway. And, and I have trained very hard and, and I can push on and forget that negative and just focus on the positive. Yeah, and you mentioned as well, just treating it section by section, whether that's kilometer by kilometer in a short hill race back home that might be only 10 kilometers long or 50 kilometers by 50 kilometers in what you are doing there, that if, if we maybe look too far ahead, that's when we'll lose hope and just be overwhelmed. But if you do it section by section, that seems to work very well. Yeah, yeah, I think no matter how big the race is, yeah, yeah, just get to that point, just get to that point and then focus on the next section after that. Yeah, that's that's key to it. Um, and, and you mentioned, Kevin, and I can't, I can't get over this one, this is incredible, that you only slept, was it close to 10 hours or so, over the nearly six days? Yeah, yeah, I think we're doing 10, 15, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, surely you must have hit some wall, and um, never mind the wall in the marathon, like, we're, we're, we're well beyond that at this stage here. I mean, did the body ever just want to shut down, Kevin, and and how did you overcome that? I, I, I just can't fathom it. Um, yeah. like, on, on a normal, say, six days, when you're just in the comfort of your own house, 
and I've seen some of the photographs of where where you where you raced and you're just out in the wilderness snow and ice and and you know the, uh, local uh, wild animals all around you um did, did the body ever just shut down at all no no it was pretty good it was pretty good it didn't um as I say only besides the first night um other than that I was I was kind of got on a, a kind of a cycle that seemed to work well for me. I was like going for 16, 18 hours, like 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 moving or like stopping for small sacks. And then and then I'd sla- stop and sleep for three or four hours. You know, you're coming to the end of that 16, 18 hours. You're, you're pretty achy. All right. You're like, oh, I just I, I better stop. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, it's yeah. Dark. I was at a frozen. I was at a frozen lake one night and I didn't know how long the lake was. I thought you, know, you could cross this in a couple of kilometers. I'll camp at the other side. But the lake was eight kilometers long. So at that speed, it was only two and a half hours, you know. So that night, all right, there was a bit of a snowstorm and I was just going across the lake. I thought it would never finish. But again, I always just like it. Keep going, keep going. I've, I'm pretty confident that I've always got the energy, you know. Um, so it's just you keep going, keep going. What's the point in stopping? Keep going, keep going. So there was no, there was no major point where I was, I broke down and 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 stopped and didn't think I could go on anymore. And and generally, if I, if that like that time, I just got so tired, I just stopped and set up camp and sleep for a few hours and you, you wake up in the morning and it's like you, you're kind of you're you're not right as rain but you're you're, you're pretty good you know yeah i mean is it something that you've trained at all um running train through the night uh, i know for example the transgran canardia is on this weekend here in grand canary and i know from talking to some of the, the athletes at the top end of the field that they will that they've told me that they will actually go out and do some night runs like they might practice actually say starting off the race at 11 o'clock, which is when that race starts at nighttime. And they might do five or six hours during the night. So like, were you training that aspect of it over the winter mm-hmm. in Kerry? No, 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 no. I, I, my, I did go for a long trek. I did a, I did a 27 hour trek, but that was more to test out my, my, I suppose it was to get a lot of hours on my feet with, with a backpack on and just double check my, my, my camping and cooking equipment and stuff like that. But generally, I suppose again, I've just I've done a lot of races, and I know I know I can get up to like we've done race with raced with with that with the Dar team up in up in Donegal, and we were we were racing for fifty eight hours without sleeping. So I suppose it's a it's a confidence thing that I I, I can yeah. do it if I really need to do it kind of thing. Uh, so I don't think I need to I don't think I need to train for that anymore. I just I know I can do it, and the adrenaline I think the adrenaline is massive. You know, um, yeah. that 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 just keeps you going. You know, to, 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 to be honest, in races in Ireland, I would have been big on the Coca-Cola and stuff like that. But over in the UK, you can't carry a can of Coke because it'll just turn into a big ice block. So yeah, I didn't, yeah. So I wasn't even I wasn't even dosing up on caffeine. I had some of the the cliff cliff blocks with caffeine in them, yeah. but I wasn't dosing on them that much. So I'd I'd put it down. A lot of it have to be down to adrenaline, I suppose, and just the excitement of the race. And just as you mentioned there that the Coke bottles would freeze up, I presume then energy gels, which we might typically go for in an ultra race, the gels would freeze up as well. Yeah, yeah, gels would freeze. Yeah, they just turn to salad, uh, salad, salad ice. Now you wow. would like what? So what we do in a race? I so I still wear like a, a race vest. Where so I've, generally I have three three layers: a base layer, a mid layer, and a, and a over layer, kind of a light down jacket. So I'd have, I keep my running vest in between my base layer and my mid layer. 
and you've got your pockets in there. So anything, you know, if you, if you knew you wanted a gel in, in a half an hour, you might, you'd, you'd pack it in there. That'll defrost it. It'll be nice and body temperature by the time you're, uh, by the time you're ready to get it into you. But I do, yeah, I, I, I generally am not a gels guy. I, I, the cliff blocks is what I, what I prefer for, for, for the carbohydrates. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned the word adrenaline there and I'm sure that when you did get to that finish line and I think was it 17 started Kevin and was it only six in the end made it yeah 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 so so one of six getting to the finish line you're the first first runner home first person on foot home um it, it must have been a, such a strange feeling for the mind for the body because you have all this adrenaline and joy and happiness but then you must be absolutely wrecked as well so like what is that moment like when you get there and you know i saw an irish flag go around you you get your medal and you know that you've won it and talk to us about that yeah 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 i was i was it was uh it was interesting finishing i suppose to um to give you the full story i suppose I'd finished earlier than what I thought. There was there was still quite a few miles left in the race, and I was I was after going for about twenty two hours um, to get to this point where I thought I was going to camp for the night and then and then finish. You know, having like a ten hour trek the following day. But then there was some 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 overflow, some unsafe kind of river conditions that uh, and and the course because there had been so much snow and they ended up shortening the race. So I was like, oh, okay, just like just kind of it's like I had the choice like there'll be four or five hours to finish I was there oh yeah sure I may as well push on there's no point in camping and camping and um camping and, and doing four hours tomorrow so I kind of pushed on but this was this was like at 12 o'clock and I'd been gone for 22 hours so I pushed on and I I, I, I kind of pushed into the red zone again so I was I was pretty tired doing the last little section you're winding around the river going back into the town Whitehorse and I could see the finish line for about an hour and a half and I was at this meandering, meandering river, but I was like, is it ever going to end? You know, I was yeah. in a foot and a half of snow, breaking the trail, the sled, pulling the sled along. And it was torture. Was like, why? You know, you're questioning, why do I do it? But then like I got to within about 50 meters of the line and I'd forgotten about it all. And I was delighted. And, and, and uh, the, yeah, it was just a lovely finish line experience. You know, yourself when, when you, when you finish, it was just like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and it really is just the, the glory of it, isn't it? Because there's no big check waiting for you. There's, there's no, nah. I don't know if there's a big trophy even, or there's nah, no big the thing that. Just, just, just or anything a, like no, that. Just no. the, pure, the pure joy. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's just something something you'll 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 have with you forever. You know, you mightn't look too excited. You just got a, a silly smile on your face when you cross the line, but you know it's it means a lot more to you. And you've had a few hours to soak it in as well, kind of thing. It's not as if a, it's a hundred meter sprint finish and you've and you just get across the line. You've had you've had three days where you were kind of already knowing you were going to get to the finish line. So it's a it's an interesting one. And you know, there's generally ultramarathon finish lines are aren't big affairs anyway. Now this one probably was set up to be bigger, but because it got shortened, we finished at 6 a.m. So it was uh, it was the usual three three men and a dog at the finish line kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and of course you weren't the only Irish man there either. There was a Kerry man there, um, Eo Curran. Um yep. So if there had been an official team competition, Ireland would have taken home the team. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, Ireland won the Nations Cup. I think it was mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. It was gas with it. I, I, I actually hadn't met him. We don't know each other. I hadn't met him at all. And the first time we, we came across each other was like crossing each other in the middle of the race on this, on this frozen lake that I mentioned. It was a stop and shook hands and, and agreed to meet for a pint on a Thursday night when he finished. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Yeah, it's great. I was actually back with him yesterday, back in the Ingle. He's lent me some some gear I'm going to use in this race. So yeah, it's a lovely a lovely encounter, and it was good good crack to meet a, a Kerryman as well. You know, ah, very good. And were there many locals actually um, participating in the race, or did the did the locals know Kevin that it's just crazy? It, it's mad. It's so hard. Do they stay stay well clear of it? Um, yeah, the, right the vast majority of them stay away from it. There's a couple. <laughs> there's a couple of them there, but. Like I suppose it's like races around here, you know, or like 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 you know some of the local races. Are you gonna are you gonna pay quite a lot of money to do to do something, or like to do? It's quite a lot of money. It's like, for them, it's like they have it on the doorstep all the time, so they can kind yeah. of do it every weekend. So, but there and is there, part, there, there part are their daily lives and part of their daily routines, that type of landscape and conditions and so on. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, after the race, Kevin, I mean, and I'm asking this for all of us who want to try and improve our recovery post-hard <laughs> efforts, whether it's from a summer, winter or winter league in the Imre leagues, or if it's a big ultra one like your one. But as you said, you're off now, you're flying out to Sweden tomorrow for another 500k in, in more drastic cold conditions. Um, and you had, what was it, about maybe a three, four week turnaround. Um, yeah, just over three, yeah. So what, what recovery techniques have you been using and what's been working well? And maybe what, what tips can you give us for all us mere mortals who are trying to recover from 10Ks and 20Ks? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't go, I didn't go crazy. I, th- I didn't. Um, so I suppose since then I've had, I, I got off the airport in Cork and I went, I got the legs into the ocean. Uh, quite enjoyed that. And I've, uh, I had one massage. Uh, I, I did one cryotherapy session. I've done two two kind of just kind of strength and mobility sessions with uh, with my man Andrew Fitzgerald. Other than that, it, it's I I just think it's all been about just just sleeping and eating and resting and and uh, just just as much sleep and as much food and as much rest as I could possibly get. Okay. And I figure out like I I didn't pick up any injuries, just no niggles. I actually, my my knees right. feel better. My knees feel better now than they did going into the other race. To be honest. Uh, so yeah. I think like they heard it before, sleep is as good as EPO, you know, I think if you're getting yeah. sleep, but it, it took, it took me a while to guess, you know, because it was, it was, it was, it was, it was finishing the race and three days later, a 24, 26 hour flight back to Ireland, back into a different time zone. So I was like for a week, I was like still on Canadian time or I don't know what time I was on. Um, but I, I kind of straightened that up now in the last week and I'm, I'm starting to feel much, my batteries are getting closer to being at a level where I'm ready to race again. Yeah. I mean, even say from a diet point of view, Kevin, have you been making a special effort there with say anti-inflammatory foods or just eating back to basics? Um, back, to back, to ba- back to basics. I suppose I'd be, I generally, I don't have a, a very, very clean diet or a strict diet, I should say, but you know, the tonic, tonic water there, I find, uh, I find quite good. It's got quinine in it. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. Or like in my yeah. my smoothies in the morning, I I do I have turmeric, which is also a natural infl- anti-inflammatory. And that you gotta mix that with the cracked pepper that activates it. Um, yeah. So generally, yeah, like I'd have I'd have I'd have a few foods that I'd be kind of going to regularly enough that are that are doing natural anti-inflammatory things. But I didn't. Um, it was amazing because I I had a I did have a lot of painkillers and and anti-inflammatories in my bag for the race, thinking I didn't know what I was going to be in for, but I I didn't end up taking one single one the whole the whole race or or after the race. So I was quite happy with that. That I just kind of the, the body just did everything itself. Yeah, and how have you found Kevin? Say balancing, um, 
professional commitments. I know you have a, a coffee shop and a hostel down in Killarney as well, the, the Black Sheep Hostel. If any runners are ever passing, <laughs> make sure to check Kevin out. But how do you find managing, um, managing that business itself and then also being pretty much nearly a, a full-time adventure racer um, and a, a full-time adventure champion at the moment as well? I mean, how do you find balancing the two? Is it tough or are you just focusing on the, the adventure racing at the moment? Yeah, uh, no, look, I'm here in the hostel now, just kind of just working on rosters for next week and stuff like that. Um, it, it, it is tough. I, I am very lucky. I've got uh, amazing staff here and they kind of, they kind of, they, they know what I'm about kind of thing. And they, they, they've some of them been here long term. Um, and, and I, you know, there's a good team of them here. So I, I'm very lucky that I have an amazing staff. Um, but it is, you know, it is, it is tough to know when you're away the longer you're away the bigger the cracks gets and stuff like that so you got to come home and the first you know yourself like when you finish an ultra marathon there's the high and then there's a bit of a low and generally you end up coming back yeah. home and there's a bit of a low and you're coming back to, to uh, two businesses that have broken this and that and the other and pain so so look it's 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 tough but um I'm, I'm very happy to be in a position i am you know i do i uh, they're my businesses and and they give me a lot of freedom so i wouldn't i wouldn't change any of that for the world to be honest and do you find do you get out and train first thing in the morning and then go into work, Kevin, or, or do you go into work first and then um, get rid of uh, all the problems with a nice run in the afternoon? Yeah, I like I love the mornings. I think sunrise is the best. So I'll, uh, I'll have two or three sunrise runs per week, kind of thing, and that that sets you up again, good yeah. bit for the day. And you know, Sundays like Saturday evening, and I'll work Saturday, Saturday evening. I used to go out with the tire for a few hours, and Sunday then is always. It's always the big day, you know. You're you're gonna you're gonna be gone for six to eight hours, whether you're on a bike or or, or what. Um, so I like the, lucky enough this the, the, running running the business is I I have a lot of flexibility with it as well, you know. So if you can you can leave early, you can go late or take take a break. I do have a lot of flexibility with it. Yeah, and just our last question then before you get back there to to looking after the rosters and, and getting back to running the place there, Kevin. Your your next one, you're flying out tomorrow to Sweden to Lapland. 500 kilometers and um, talk to us about this one is it similar type of train of what you experienced in the Yukon Arctic um similar standard of athlete maybe as well what what are your um, um I suppose all along I was kind of thinking this one might might be easier I suppose there was there was definitely more of a, a um a chance for severe conditions or severe frostbite conditions in the Yukon um, but then the snow, the snow happened, and and that may, I, I I hadn't realized how difficult the snow would make it. So it's looking like, unfortunately, that well, it's going to look like there's going to be a lot of snow here as well, you know. And you're you're pulling out the snowshoes quite a lot, so you're burning a lot of calories per per step there, wearing a pair of snowshoes. Yeah. So I think this is this is going to be just as challenging, if not more challenging. Maybe maybe not from a temperature because we can't get the minus forty degrees there, but. Uh, from a from a underfoot conditions kind of thing in the snow. The snow makes it hard with the visibility and stuff as well. It just makes everything a bit more difficult. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly think I, I can't be complacent going into it. It's going to be it's going to be very difficult. Maybe not with the extreme cold, but um, with the conditions. And and one thing I learned one thing as well is it kind of got warmer in the Yukon as well. And and that doesn't necessarily make it easier. You're you're working harder than underfoot. You're you're pulling the sled. You're not getting any glide from the sled, so you're like kind of pulling it through like like a sand kind of material rather than mm -hmm. this icy thing that you would have expected when it's minus twenty, minus twenty five. 
Yeah, uh, I think I think there's yeah they're having the the, the route the, they're having there's a lot of route changes happening over there as well, which which tells me that the trail isn't 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 uh, isn't a hundred percent. So I think it's going to be it's going to be another another battle. Um, and that battle is starting on March sixth. And um, how many days do you think you might be out there for, Kevin? This time, uh, I'll I'll go for six to seven. Six or seven. Okay. Well, listen, yeah. we'll, we'll be we'll be tuning in. I know you have a social media account there on Instagram and Facebook, I think, as well. And uh, if the reaction um, from what you got after the last win is anything to go by, um, I think you'll have a lot of uh, following on in Irish media as well. A lot of newspapers phoned you up. You're on RTE, so uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll get a lot of coverage um, this time around as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how we go. <laughs> I might, okay. to, I might have to might have to come over to you for a holiday or something to lay low yeah, for Yeah, you might you might need one to escape all the media attention. And I suppose just on that, Kevin, I mean, has all that attention, has it been a, a welcome distraction or is it kind of a little bit energy zapping as well when you're just trying to recover? You have people like me calling you up, look, looking to talk to you about what, what you did. Um, how, how do you find that one? Uh, look, conversations like this are always a pleasure when I'm when I'm um, chatting to someone who 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 kind of who gets it and understands, you know. Um, so I, I I do like talking to people about running, uh, but I am a bit of an introvert. So sometimes you know meeting talk talking about the same small talk all all the time does get to me a little bit. <laughs> you know, not a, not obviously not all interviewers can be experts in running and stuff like that, but it, the, the, some of the questions do get a little bit repetitive, right? So oh, so I, sometimes I it can be energy zapping. So that there it is, and and I need I need to rest at home. Sure, but I know it's all it's it's all good fun, and it's all like there's there's been a there's the community's been lovely since I've been back. People are really proud and stuff like that. So that's 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 very positive and nice to see, and it's good to see, I suppose, what uh, a lot of people really got into the dot watching that didn't really understand or know or or get dot watching. So it's good to see people learn a little bit about our sport as well. And of course, you're doing it for a very good cause as well. Kevin, you're raising funds for ADAPT, the domestic abuse services, and um, they do great work there. And of course, you have a very good teammate alongside you for all of these adventures as well, um, Adrian McCarthy, who's recording footage of all of this and is going to edit it all together for a film documentary, hopefully sometime soon, Kevin. When will that hit our screens? We're hoping to get that out for, uh, for August, hopefully, get into oh. some, of the, um, some of the film festivals happening. Sort of, yeah, Adrian will be Adrian will be Adrian will be pretty busy from uh from when I cross the finish line. We'll be under a bit of pressure to to get all that going. But look, no better man. I think Adrian's Adrian's having a good time coming on these adventures too, and it's good to have him there with me. So we're uh, yeah. we're quite enjoying it. We're kind of enjoy, enjoying the whole experience and learning a bit about ourselves as well. I'm sure there's plenty of stories to be told, and it's the best yeah, of the great yeah. ones for adapt as well. Kevin, good luck in your travels over the next couple of days. Have a brilliant, brilliant adventure. I'm sure whatever happens, happens. You're, you're doing the country and you're doing the, the trail running community. Very, very proud. Well done. Oh, and thanks a million. Okay, take care. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Well, that's a wrap for this week's episode, everybody. Good luck to all the Irish runners in the Transgrand Canaria this weekend. Friend of the show and the Waterfall Trail Running Festival race director, Simon Kelly is running. So I look forward to seeing Simon and hopefully lots more Irish flags at the finish line of the first big international trail running race of the season. All eyes will be on the pros to see who takes the big win there on Saturday afternoon. A little reminder of our Patreon um, account, everybody. Before you go, 
if you do get a chance to pop over to Patreon, it would be a great help. Patreon Trail Running Ireland podcast and a small contribution, the price of a gel per month will help keep us going throughout the year and help to promote this great sport of trail and mountain running. Everybody, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.